Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 250. Well, that was a slap and a tickle. This week we're discussing the finale of Class, The Lost, and season 5, episode 8 of Angel, Destiny. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, class, the lost episode. Oh, wait. Um, I mean, kind of, right? No. Is, that a, uh, is that a Doctor Who reference? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't necessarily intended to be, Like, but sure, you can make it that. Um or maybe it's a pun about the fact that there's no more stories after this. Everything beyond that, beyond this point, is lost to yeah. what might have been your imagination. Mm-hmm. The, the it fell through the rift, right, and disappeared forever. Um, yeah. So I'm actually going to switch it up because we moved um, some stuff around right before. I want to just talk about this episode real quick first. Um, And then we're going to kind of do the series wrap up at the end of our discussion here, rather than doing a separate episode, because it's a short series. I don't think Mm -hmm. we need to like talk through it. And we've, we've already talked through a lot of stuff going. So let's just sort of talk through this episode. And I, I, as I feel like has been historic uh, in our podcast, um, all 200 and, 49 previous episodes that we've done uh, well actually more than 250 right because we have a couple of unnumbered uh, like anniversary sure bonus episodes Um, as we as has happened in the past when we've had a two-part set of episodes or or multiple parts often the first part is all set up and so I feel like we end up discussing it very quickly Hmm. so I feel like we can do that here the only difference being that this is a two-part episode without a second part. <laughs> right, with no follow-up. <laughs> because there's clearly set up for what presumably would be the next season and yeah. and a sort of traditional end-of-season cliffhanger that I guess they're still hanging. Um, they've got some either pretty strong or pretty tired arms uh, by now. <laughs> um, or maybe they've let go and have fallen to their long and downward spiraling deaths um (laughs) all that to say i think we can sort of talk about the episode quickly because i don't know that like much like actually happens we learn some things and we want to make sure we touch on those um Mm. but then i think that leads us into the bigger conversation around yeah what is some of the arc that we can talk about for the season and what are some of the takeaways from this, you know, series of eight episodes. um, Well, yeah. And I feel like already you just want to dive straight into the ending of the episodes. Maybe I should resist because although I'm not going to, what, what I, (laughs) what I, my immediate response is that I don't know. I would tweak what you just said slightly and say that I don't know that nothing. I agree that this is set up without payoff for sure. Although I think maybe what's different from just a regular two-part episode is that I think 
quite a lot happens in this episode in the sense that like we do get the actual action and payoff that we've been building to of the question of are we going to use the cabinet or not it's just sure. there's no what we're lacking is not a thing happening i think what we're lacking is any sense of what that means like the consequences the payoff the resolution um closure how even how people react to what happened like not that's all the stuff that we're completely denied which i guess which is now that i'm thinking about it maybe that's what makes this more like a finale without follow-up seasons than like just a traditional part one is like sometimes you know seasons will end with on that sort of cliffhanger and and you're you're given the sense that next season is about exploring the consequences of whatever the cliffhanger is um and and i should point out that angel the series ends on a pretty big cliffhanger okay (laughs) so I mean, so, obviously, I'm right. not going to tell so you what that not, is. So, but there's so it's a, not a thing that only happens with one season shows. Is what? No, like, not at it all. It can sometimes happen after five seasons, or yeah. But when we get to that, I want to remember this. Like, mm-hmm. I want to come back to like say, like, let's compare. I mean, it was obviously more of a planned cliffhanger, and I think that's part of this. Is that this was planned? This was not planned as necessarily like to be a one season show like they were clearly wanting to go on to but i mean they were clearly setting up to go on to do more explanation um there's there's a couple big things and some smaller things that we can talk about as we go through the episode um and i I agree with you like maybe i was you know uh being a little too unfair uh to say like that there was no action or or not much action like you're right like we do get the resolution of the cabinet but we don't get the it's certainly not the sense that everything's fine like there's right a clear shift well we're jumping to the end which is what you said you wanted to resist (laughs) so i agree we do get some things and we can talk through those um but like also leave some time for like what it means for the big picture and like yeah the arc if arc you call it um of the episode and uh you know some of the other things and and we'll throw in our traditional favorite episodes uh that we like to discuss um, which i think will come into play anyway um i think the two that we pick actually have to come into play when we're talking about the bigger arc stuff um, sure which might be notable in and of itself for why we pick those um Anyway, so let's start off then with just sort of the situation. Uh, and hey, look, we talked we talked for seven minutes already about what we're going to talk about. So maybe we'll fill up an entire hour. Um, the situation. So, um, I mean, it's really bleeding uh, over from last time where we found out right at the end um, that in sort of the the coda to the set to the second of the previous two parts. <laughs> series um with detained and what quill did um i know it's a long episode but you know what quill did is better um than the first part um of the, title. the metaphysical engine 
Yes. Um, which is to say that she's pregnant. And so, um, <laughs> which is one of the things that is left to explore in next season. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, we, that's literally kind of where we start off is her in bed pregnant, like hibernating or whatever. Uh, the, the fetus moving, shifting wombs, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, which I realize this could get me into trouble with the metaphor I'm about to use. Um, but like, just when she said, like the idea, I don't, I have no idea if there are animals that have multiple wombs in, from which like a fetus moves from one to the other. There are none that I'm aware of. But it just made me think of like, there are certain animals like say, cows that have like multiple stomachs where they like process their food like different stages of the food and it just made me think of that and i like i realized comparing pregnant women to cows is not ever a good idea and so i just i want to acknowledge that that analogy popped into my head just acknowledge that it's not a good idea and then let's move move on but that's what it made me think of yeah um no yeah well i guess there's sort of precedent for things like that in the in the animal world you know so Sure. And, and I mean, clearly the idea here is to like remind us of her alienness of, mm-hmm. you know, her sort of personhood, but non-humanity. Um, right. Right. You know, so she's still a mother, but not a human mother. And so there are differences. And, uh, right. We know that. Right. The right. And the, will, like, there's the, the reminder of um, is. Is, where Charlie says, "Is this the part where your offspring eats you?" And oh crap, that's part of it, isn't it? Like right. it, it almost like even Quill catches has... her by surprise. Like, like she's been so proud of her sort of Quill heritage, and uh, you know, and then you suddenly remember, like, oh, like didn't she establish in the previous episode that you know, dying in you know the nest of childbirth is sort of the fulfillment of the Quill life? Like that's generally where your story ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like that's, I guess, impending once she comes to full term. So, um, yeah. yeah. Right. So that's kind of where we start off. And I don't, I mean, other than that Quill is pregnant and like it's sort of, you know, uh initially it makes her sort of respond slower right so there's like the she sort of tries to get up when charlie leaves and she feels kind of dizzy or whatever um but then she you know goes around like beating up shadowkin and like um teaching tanya how to fight and stuff so i don't know that it like makes her all that incapacitated other than that she slept for like a week um there's that um but yeah, like, I mean, it doesn't as... seem to slow her down much in terms of her no. and, her, her battle tactics. Yeah, and even there's the suggestion of that she's fiercer as a mother or or soon to be mother. Um, you know, which Tanya sort of says, "Well, I think you'll find the same is true of Earth mm-hmm. people." Although Quill presumably hasn't run into any pregnant women. Although that could be like that could be like a good like first episode of season two of like quill joining like a lamaze class or something (laughs) right with like other pregnant mothers um right i don't whatever um 
Right. Now I, yeah. Now I want to see of... that episode. Like what to expect when Quill's expecting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. That's good. Uh, anyway, I'm who, like, now I'm thinking goes... like now I, now I'm thinking of like the plot of that episode. Who um, goes with her, Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> or Mateus. Or Mateus. Uh, maybe. Somebody has to go and like support. Her well, because Car- Charlie's clearly in um, a sort of what's the word? Not like fugue state, but maybe like catatonic because of mm-hmm. his genocide, um, his his double genocide. Right. Um, so like he he's maybe just sort of subsistence living at that point. Mateusz is right. Stepping you know, in, sort of. Yeah, yeah. stepping. In. I, which I would like to see because I would like him to actually have a part in in the series like, like i kind of feel like like him to do something like of the most potential wasted award would go to him yeah um, from a character yeah. perspective i was i was scanning through the wikipedia page again and um it reiterated again that um just his uncertain status of like how he's like not listed in the credits or but like in like promotional materials they would list him as like a series regular and like it's like they just can't even they can't even make up their mind sure as to like how how big of a role is this like he's in every episode but he's not a main character like what's his what's his part okay um yeah i mean which is kind of standard love interest fair like sure you hate to say it but that's kind of what he is right like i mean that's right right he's not the the center of the story he's there as a not a foil for charlie but like a you know i don't know what kind of word to use but yeah he's he's not a main player himself he's you you just And and I realize the time scale is different here because of like number of seasons and stuff. But you think of like even like someone like Carmen in Buffy, who has yeah. now become like one of our favorite like secondary characters. You know, yeah. like um, yeah. well, and yeah, even, and I think even Cordelia a bit. Like I mean, and I who, think that's something Buffy was good at was elevating those kind of tertiary characters to. Yeah main character status either over time or even only just every once in a while kind of Mm -hmm. um taking the ones that like yeah i mean oz and anya um yeah you know like i mean angel even in a way like all these characters were like sort of secondary to the main plot and were there as sort of love interests and kind of intrigue for one or other of the main Scoobies. But like after a certain amount of time, they start to carry the story themselves and have episodes sort of centered around them and everything. So maybe it is just, maybe it would have been a a matter of time with Mateusz. I think what feels weird is that he's the only one. Like, it's not like we have a whole cast of other high school characters that he's like one of them. Like these sure. are literally the only students I think we ever like nobody else ever even like has a speaking role, <laughs> let alone like now that I think about it, like 
we don't even know anything about any of the other students. Um, except that list of names on the board that April except, looks at. <laughs> right, but they're all like the ones that died, aren't they? Right, no, um, I, that's why I'm saying it kind of jokingly. Like, right, that, right. That's like the most we know about any students is the memorial board right, of all the, the memorial, ones Because this place is like, you know, the deadliest school in Britain. Right. Um, yeah, like, because even with Buffy, like you had some recurring, like you had your kind of, Jonathan and like sort of the geek characters or the ones that were like the football players or although we never did see aphrodisiac again I don't think <laughs> after um, that first that's episode true. that's true I mean there are the ones that got away but like I think what's weird for Mateusz's like role is that okay if he's a tertiary character he's like maybe the only other ones on his level are like the parents like there's no other yeah. students, and so it feels like weird. Like, okay, he is part of the main group, but he's not treated as equal to one of them. Sure. So, um, or or like, so I'm thinking of like in Buffy, like you have like Scott Scott Hope, who right Buffy, Buffy dates for like a couple episodes or whatever, season two. Yeah. Three, something like that. Yeah. Um, where, and then like, but he's like mentioned again and like, like he, he seems to have an existence outside of the group. It's just right. that we're following the group. And so his entrance into the group is back and forth a little bit, but like never, never really, we don't see him outside of that, but like, it's not like he just like suddenly doesn't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> like, He's right. mentioned again. Yeah. He's, you know, uh, whatever. So, right. Yeah. Whereas I think Mateusz is clearly one of the group. I mean, and it's kind sure. of silly that he's not counted among them because it's not like things, it's sort of like the whole world ceases to exist outside the group. Like we don't see anything of, of the world of this school outside the immediate concerns of these like four or five students. So to have this one character who's sort of arbitrarily held slightly at arm distance is a little bit strange. Um, but you know what? Maybe that is the traditional love interest role. And what just feels weird is that it's not the girl, you know, like. That could be. You know, like maybe it feels odd because I expect that he well, should be kind of treated with the kind of center of gravity that everybody else has. I don't it's, know. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean that certainly could be part of it. Um, but I also feel like there, there's like the very like. I wonder if it's not only that he's not the girl, but also that it's a gay relationship. Mm -hmm. So, because I feel like we might still notice it if it was like a like a gender flip trope of like, oh, it's the girl who's the main and the guy who's the love interest, like sort of less focused on and less maybe deeply considered by the writers or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that would be like, oh, okay, like we made this decision. We're going to have our strong female and we're going to have the love interest who's sort of like treated like traditional love interest, but it's, it's a little more, not even, I almost, I was almost going to say like a little more of a statement, but not even that, just a little more deliberate. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like, 
I don't necessarily think it is deliberate because I think like what you pointed out was that like they couldn't figure out what his role actually was. And so I think to that, I think the fact that like it feels like they were trying to figure it out, but were unable to really figure it out. And so it just sort of defaulted to this love interest thing. Like, I think maybe it's like that, that thing of where like, you feel awkward because the other person feels awkward in a situation where like, if you, if neither of you felt awkward, it wouldn't be awkward, but because one mm. of you feels awkward now it's awkward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So it's just like that, that thing of like, if everyone was just like fine with it and how it was going, like it'd be fine. But there's, there's sort of the sense of like, we don't know what to do with Mateusz. So mm. maybe it's just in like the way that they, sort of interpolate him into the plot at times like it just feels a little like forced mm -hmm. or a little why well, you know we hate the word contrived but but i think this is the thing that sometimes people mean when they talk about contriving stuff is that it mm -hmm. it just does it doesn't feel like anyone quite knows where he should be and so yeah like maybe that's the part of it like yeah and so he's just with charlie all the time right um yeah, which like, and again, maybe they could have got away with that for the first, you know, if this had been the first eight episodes of a longer run and they would have developed. But um, I think what you said, I think last time about like, it, it's kind of true how, okay, we're getting to the eighth episode where Angel is just getting warmed up. Like, eight episodes into a season of angel means we're finally out of the prologue and into like things are going to start happening. Whereas here we're putting the same expectations of a full season of development into, you know, or even multiple seasons of development into eight episodes. And they clearly weren't, you know, either designed or capable of bearing that kind of weight. So you're kind of left with, someone like Mateusz who like just didn't really get a chance to do much. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, was working well enough that they kept him there and involved. It's not like he was just in the first, he could have just been Charlie's little, you know, squeeze for the first episode and then dropped him after that but you know there was enough sort of interest there to kind of keep him involved and keep it coming back um yeah but well, yeah all right so we anyway, sort of... we're spending a lot of time on potatoes but <laughs> on, on the guy who the writers didn't spend a lot of time on on the well, guy who like didn't really and i mean and, and made his it it's i think it, at the end of the day it just gets a bit repetitive like his yeah his role in every episode is to kind of be the humanizing influence for charlie who kind of talks charlie off the ledge or doesn't in the case of this episode right and um and it's not even that there's anything inherently wrong with that um but at least everybody else got a certain amount of variety in what they got to do. Whereas he just feels like very much stuck in that kind of one note of like, this is his job. He, he has a plot function, which is to try to convince Charlie of things. Um, sure. And that sort of all, that's sort of the, I don't know, the range he was sort of confined to. Um, 
Yeah, and something else I was just thinking of while you were saying that, um, which I agree with. Um, I, and so, I mean, we're, we're totally, like, melding our discussions of, like, the bigger arc stuff, obviously, with, you know, sure. this episode. Um, but one of the things, too, is, like, the, like, eight episodes is kind of a weird choice. And I know we're dealing with British television. There's no standardization of, like, what a season or whatever consists mm-hmm. of. But if you think about, like, Doctor Who, at least New Who, the seasons are pretty consistently, except for, like, that year of specials, like, pretty consistently 12 or 13 episodes plus a Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, granted, like, the arkiness of the seasons varies pretty greatly from season to season. Um, or series to series. Um, but eight is kind of a weird number to, like, stick at from a, you know episode perspective now i okay so you've got like sherlock that has like three episodes per season but they're like movie length episodes right mm-hmm. so like you're really talking about like nine or ten almost mm-hmm. it, you know when you get down to like you know three 90 minute episodes or longer you know like mm-hmm. if they're like 42 minutes a piece all right well no i guess all right so the math doesn't quite work out. anyway well I'll, I'll, my only point is here that like eight is just kind of a weird number like I, sure. it's like i feel like it's too long for like your typical miniseries and even thinking of like so like um we're going to be looking at um jonathan strange and mr nora right so that's seven but that's like based on a book so there's already like the plot is already laid out right it's like right okay how many episodes do we need to tell the plot and then you just like adjust that based on like Right, it's about telling the story. It like yeah, we can we can we know how much mileage, and we can block it out. Right, like eight episodes. I feel like it's that thing of like, eh, well, we'll give you eight episodes to tell your story, but then it's like, okay, we need to figure out a story that's going to fit in eight episodes. Yeah, and it like, it's not really, like, I feel like if you want to make something really tight and whatever, like you could do that in like maybe six episodes. But then we've got like a couple of these fluff episodes that we have to throw in when it's eight. And so it kind of breaks up the, you know, I don't know. It just, yeah. It, and, and not to say that like the monster of the week episodes are bad, like they're fine as episodes. Mm-hmm. And obviously longer seasons have those as well. But like, I feel like with the longer seasons, you can have the monster of the week episodes, but not like, like still have enough time to sort of get the narrative in there or whatever. And like, but like eight episodes are just kind of that weird. It's like that weird novella territory. Like mm. you're just yeah. like, it's too long for a short story, but not quite a novel. And like, unless you do it really well, it's kind of hard length to master. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it has the open-endedness, which always makes it, you know, so difficult of, of how do you, I mean, we say, I think we can look back and say it worked out like with Buffy and Angel or whatever, but that's in hindsight, knowing that they got renewed. Like, sure. you know, I think if, if Buffy had ended with season one, it didn't end on quite this big of a cliffhanger. It had more closure, but, but it would be, I think you'd still have some of the, the same frustrations of, of build up without sort of 
payoff. Um, it makes me think if I, I don't know, we have no immediate plan to do this, but if we ever find a venue to talk about lost on our podcast, um, it's, it's an interesting kind of, I feel like they were like in a similar position and just had a different outcome and that they got canceled rather than renewed of like, okay, make a, just in terms of figuring out how much story do you have to tell where you're in one of these situations where it's like, all right, make a pilot. Okay. That was good. So make six. All right. All right. 13. No. All right. You get a season and then you get another season and then now that's going well. So you could just do this indefinitely. So plan for five to 10 to 20 more years. Like we, you don't know. And just, just this idea of how on earth do you figure out when you pull the trigger on what and if it works then you you know everybody kind of pats you on the back and says great job planning but then like when in the case of this show it gets canceled you're maybe you're left kind of thinking like well maybe they could have wrapped it up in eight episodes but that wasn't the direction they chose to to take they chose to live in hope that there would be more time, you know, and that's just not the way that it went. Um, or I don't know, maybe there was no way to wrap this up in eight episodes and their eyes were bigger than their stomach. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, maybe the idea that we were going to get closure on all these different things within this amount of space was just like an unrealistic sort of expectation. I don't know. Um, but it's because I, I do you remember me saying like early on that even before it was canceled, it seems, I guess we don't really know what was happening, like in discussions in the BBC halls of executives or whatever, but it seems that Patrick Ness was leaving regardless of whether it got canceled or not. Um, and that's like a story we don't know. Like I, I'd be very curious to hear, like, does that mean he told whatever story he wanted to tell and maybe he only wanted to do a season and then, you know, was going to leave it open or in which case that's kind of interesting or strange that he would only have story that leaves on this huge cliffhanger. Or was it that he wasn't happy with the experience and was like, regardless of whether it gets picked up, I'm out of here. And, you know, yeah. Or did he have wind of the fact that, like, okay, it's going to be, it's not looking good, and, you know, maybe you should do other right. things? Who knows? Yeah, it does seem weird, because, like, un- unless unless you're talking with, like, the person who's going to be the next showrunner or whatever, or, like, who's taking it over, and they tell you, like, hey, do this thing, because I want to build on that next season. Right. Like, it seems weird that you wouldn't tie up and resolve right. things more. Right. Also seems kind of weird. Well, we should talk about the episode itself. Okay. Because, like, and I don't even, I don't even know that I want to go through the, all the characters like I kind of initially laid out. Okay. So we kind of have two factions, right, in this episode. We have the, the pro- Using the cabinet faction and the anti-cabinet mm-hmm. faction um, 
in the pro column, we have Quill, Ram, and Tanya. In the anti column, we have Charlie, the Cage, and April. Um, situationally, we have the Shadow King escape prison, became king again somehow without April knowing, is now going around and starts off by killing Ram's dad, uh, kills Tanya's mom, and then, you know, threatens April's mom, but apparently yeah. can't do it anyway, but still threatens to do it. So some of the problems too, there's like a little bit of like problem with the plot of like, what does April know in sense and what does she mm. not know in sense? You know, like some something has apparently changed since last time. She doesn't sense that he's out of prison, can only like sense momentarily when he's in, but not what he in the like earth, but like doesn't know what he does, even though before she was able to tell what he was doing. So like there's not a lot of clarity around like right. why that happened. And whatever, like it's Doctor Who, like Right. Right. There's sort of information on demand. Um when it's yeah, or, when or it's useful. On just believe us that like this is the way it happened and that right. for some reason she can't sense things that she was able to sense perfectly fine three episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um all of that to say that like so, you know, the Shadow King is using these little sort of mini rifts in time to slip through and like, you know, bring his forces through um and like menace the the earth. Um and so I mean it and it breaks down pretty simply to not simply but like fairly clear lines between I mean Quill has always wanted to just erase all the shadow can and that's so that's not anything new. And then Charlie obviously has been resistant because to do so means mm-hmm. you know, destroying his people too or whatever. Um Ram and Tanya both lose a loved one. And that's mm-hmm. sort of where their now desire to um, use the cabinet comes from is from the grief and anguish and anger and frustration of losing a parent, each of them, and the um, and almost her brothers to uh, Tanya, and then um, I feel like the anti-cabinet ones are the. I don't want to say it's because they haven't lost someone that they're anti-cabinet, but like we don't really know like if if the shadow king had killed april's mom would she totally be pro cabinet or not like mm-hmm. or is it more like she and charlie are like the heroes and mateus is just kind of going along with charlie because that's what he does mm-hmm. um that's what it seems like to me but i don't mm-hmm. i don't know if you have a different interpretation like like heroes in terms of like the narrative like yeah like, like, like we can't like we've the already, ones that can't really stoop to the level of well yes although i guess it like in that terms of that like charlie's actions make him sort of an anti-hero i guess right like, sure yeah um, right because he ends up doing it yeah but like yeah so i i don't I don't know, but like we like April is sort of like the clearest like like we've seen her in sort of like heroic like 
duel with the Shadow King and win and become mm-hmm. like, the Shadow King herself. And like, you know, she has all the sort of markings of sort of, I feel like you're more typical storybook hero kind mm-hmm. of elements. Mm-hmm. Charlie, you know, he's the prince. And so like, it's supposed to be royalty. And I think for the most part, we've seen him act in that way, at least, you know, in the way that he believes that like the princely hero should act. And like, I think that, I think in terms of the narrative, like that's what we're supposed to believe he's at least trying to be is like, you know, what the storybook heroes of the Rhodian culture, like have sort of primed him to be as the leader kind of thing. I mean, whether, whether his actions here and opening the cabinet, like confirm or, unaffirm i don't i'm not sure what the deny i guess the you know reality or the perception of that then um you know we can talk about that but like that's kind of what i mean by here like yeah yeah. like at least in their sort of own definitions and minds based on like sort of cultural norms for who they are Mm -hmm. um or where they come from or whatever Mm -hmm. um that's all i meant like I don't think that if April, well, and maybe it's different because like April's mom has shadow in her. And so April presumably knows that the shadow King can't kill her. I mean, she does know because like, she's the one who sort of reveals that they're like, Oh, he can't kill her. Cause like, yeah, it's the shadow is part of her, all of that. Um, and then Charlie gets part of the shadow in him too. So like, he's also kind of protected in a way. And like, so is that is that it is it is that like the chip like is this you know they're moral or good because of that um mm-hmm. but then charlie kind of goes against it at the end or is it that like like i kind of think that even if april's mom was killed like she still kind of would be anti cabinet mm-hmm. faction but i don't know like I, yeah. it's hard to say for sure yeah that's just my sense so I don't know. I well. So having explained all that, one, do you agree? Do you not agree? Like any thoughts there? And then we can maybe kind of talk a little more about like what happened. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell, and I I can't decide if I think it's doing something kind of sophisticated or whether it's kind of muddled because <laughs> right is it subtle or muddled? Yeah. So there's two. I, I feel like these are slightly different, like, things. And maybe they're supposed to work together or maybe they're in the way. I can't quite tell. But, like, I can't help but notice the fact that Charlie and April are the white characters. And Ram and Tanya are not. So... If there's any unfortunate readings in terms of like moral stature, we you could certainly read it that way. I don't think that's intended, you know, I don't think it's meant to say like the white characters are better. Um what I kind of want to come back to is in like you're mentioning that 
Bram and Tanya are the ones who lost more. Like they're the ones that had their parents killed in front of them. And so maybe it comes down to a difference of, I don't know if privilege is the right word or just a lack of exposure to the kind of suffering that Ram and Tanya have had. Um, and so maybe it's, it's a kind of thing of, I don't, I guess you could read it as Ram and Tanya are, I don't know if wiser is the right word or just, I guess both wiser and more cynical about the way the world is like just in the act of seeing their parents slaughtered in front of them for good and for bad, they know more about life in a way like, or they've experienced something that, you know, April, for instance, not that April hasn't had tragedy, but like in this particular instance, maybe what she's lacking is, is having the direct experience of what they see. Um, but then I don't know, like, this is why it gets a little muddled. I'm not, I, I think it's shooting for an ambiguity, right? Of like, we're not necessarily told who's correct, or, or we're not told to what to think or what to believe about, like, if you were in this situation, um, who do you think is in the right here? Is it sort of Ram and Tanya or is it Charlie and April? Um, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of all over the place because I'm not quite sure what conclusions we get in this episode. Um, sure. And that's why it's kind of leading me to think maybe it's less sophisticated and more just doesn't quite know what its position is, like as a narrative. Because um, yes, like Charlie and April are pr privileged and protected in a sense, but they're also like made more vulnerable by having the shadow. Like it's made clear that they believe that if Charlie uses the cabinet, they're going to get wiped out along with it. So, sure. so there's but, uh, also the kind of self-sacrificial aspect too. Well, and literal in April's case, right? She tells Charlie to shoot her, right? So, like, there's that aspect too, like, mm -hmm. and which is why I feel like, for her at least, I mean, I don't know, maybe like maybe that confirms both the the hero reading for both of them, just that fact that he does shoot her, like, he's willing to do anything to save the people, right? Like, that's, mm -hmm. even kill his friend, <laughs> like, not ideal, but, you know, it, is it different than Buffy stabbing Angel, you know, with the sword, like, sure. Um, I mean, they're not lovers, like Buffy and Angel were, but, like, in the same idea, I feel like, like, Mm -hmm. you know that, you know, that rising, rising above, above sort of the individual you know for the greater good or whatever you know your yeah. sort of feelings of it. um but then also for from april's perspective of that sacrificial nature of you know you need to kill the king and the king is me 
um, um, you know, the subtext of that, which is, which is I think, when, I think we're when we're talking about our takes us right back to the first episode because that's exactly Charlie saving, right? Because like he jumped in front of the gun, or not in front of, but like knocked the gun away, right? Like he's the one who mm -hmm. um, knew that there would be this back shot. And which is what caused the whole thing. So, like, from an art perspective, there's actually a little bit of, like, coming back around there and, and actually closing a loop for mm -hmm. once yeah. <laughs> with that. Um, but, yeah, I, I honestly hadn't considered, and I, this says more about me, I'm sure, than the show. Um, I honestly hadn't considered, like, the fact that, like, Graham and Tanya were minorities and make the sort of bad, in quotes, you know, decision of wanting to use the cabinet. I mean, I say bad, but then that's like what Charlie does. So like, like, did he do the right, right. thing in the end? So like, is that really the bad thing? Or right. Is... Like, I'm not at all sure whether that is the point that like they are in, like, because the other thing is like, Tanya, at least, has clearly been the one, if not the most admirable, like, you know, I think the one that you're sort of supposed to see as certainly the most reasoned, logical one among them, the kind of Hermione, like, book smart version, but like, with a certain wisdom to her, too. She's not just like, all empty pragmatism and book smarts like she's been the leader a lot of the time so kind of what do we do with the fact that you know she's arguing pro cabinet um you know i don't think we're supposed to just write her off as clearly in the wrong here yeah. um yeah and the fact that charlie does end up using it like the narrative sort of endorses it to the extent that at least it, it happens. It's not such a bad thing that they can't have their characters do. Like, it's not the action that was like, we can't ever go there. Um, yeah. That, you know, they have him actually go through with it. So. Well, and, and the interesting thing too, is when Dorothea says, you know, Oh, we thought, uh, he was too moral to use the cabinet, right? Like, yeah. I don't know that the governors and Dorothea, though, are the moral compass we should be following. Like, right. like, is their determination of what's moral really the moral act, or is it the opposite of what the moral act actually mm -hmm. is? Um, in which case, yeah, like maybe that's another indication of you know, Charlie actually may have done the right thing. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I agree with you. Like there's that, like, I feel like we're both smart people and can usually figure out subtlety when subtlety is there to be figured out, but this doesn't feel subtle to me. It feels just confusing and like, I don't know. It's like that, you know, it's like, uh, I, saw, I saw a tweet from someone um, and maybe the fact that I'm even comparing this to a tweet tells you how 
deep it all is. Um, I saw a tweet from someone like yesterday or the day before where they were like, I went back and re-listened to like some of the lyrics of the emo uh, artists that I liked as a teenager and was like basically like horrified by how like basic and like shallow they were and like just basically like saying I'm glad I grew out of that phase and stuff. And I feel like like that's the kind of thing here. Like this is like like there's some total and I mean hey it's a high school so like it's not necessarily a bad thing but there's definitely like that sense of like emo depth of like hmm. all the world is pain and life sucks and you know whatever right. that's like like it feels deep to like a 15 year old who you know is going through stuff but like maybe a little bit older and you're like yeah like that wasn't really all that deeper you know mm. whatever i don't know. i mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, class is definitely, like, going for the kind of grim dark. Yeah. Um, certainly more than Doctor Who generally does. Um, in some ways, I feel like maybe even more than Torchwood did, which is kind of a strange statement to make. But, like, hmm. for as weird and dark as Torchwood could get it was also like very wacky in its own way like for good and for ill um and I feel like even at, I mean whereas I feel like class is like aspiring to a seriousness you know um of, of yes. a sort of a sort, but like not always and not consistently. And not necessarily successfully, but like right. that's well, sort of what it yes. what it has in in its mind. And um, I I feel like as dark as Torchwood is, at least the first season, I, I I'd have to go back and rewatch to see if this holds in the second and third seasons. There's only three. Uh, there's four. Or is there four? I can't yeah. even remember what the fourth one. Um, the fourth one's the Miracle Day, the the stars. Okay. The um, one where they go to America. Right. At least the first season. I'll hold myself to that. Okay. I feel like even as dark and whatever as it is, like it actually ends on a hopeful note mm-hmm. because it's him. It's him running off to be with the doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I know that that, that that's not the end of every season. So like, yeah, sure. Maybe that's, maybe that's only the first season, but I feel like at least with that, like that's the case. And I mean, we might also argue that there's like the kind of humorous slash hopeful, I think, um, note with April at the end of this episode. And we should, we should really get into like the final, yeah. like our final thoughts here. Um, yeah. But it's not successful at all, like you said. And, like, it just, yeah, it's, it's far too uneven and, and muddled. And, and I, like, if we're just comparing this one season of class to the first season of Torchwood, I would agree with your statement. I mean, I, I, we don't have more seasons of class, so it maybe is unfair to compare, like, 
right. more seasons of Torchwood to, to but I, I would agree with that assessment that at least it ends on a more hopeful and uplifting note mm. uh, Torchwood does than class mm-hmm. um, and yeah I mean so from the beginning I was sort of commenting on how much darker class was Obviously, yeah. some episodes are darker than others, I think, but I mean, I think most episodes we get more graphic blood and, you know, pulling things out of your skull through your eye and, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of like yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, and I think that's where, like, superficially, I think it's more similar to something like Torchwood, where it's, you're allowed to have a little more graphic and, you know, yeah. mature ratings and everything. Um, yeah, but I think it's, it's that, it's that subject matter, or that tone, or the sense of like, you know, which again, like you said, maybe that's very fitting for a show about, you know, teens and high school and everything but that sense of the things that we are doing are the most important things in the world that will ever be done you know like um it just it could stand to chill out a little and if they'd had some more time maybe they would have been able to um there's a, you know what it kind of reminds me of, um, which it's had many seasons to go up and down and develop. But um, have you ever watched The Hundred on CW? I've, that show? I have not. It's Netflix keeps recommending it, but I've it, not. It is interesting, and I wouldn't like not recommend it. But it's one of those like Hunger Games esque kind of YA dystopias where it's like sure. These kids need to like yeah, yeah. take a break. Like every once in a while, it can't be this bad all the time. Like they don't even stop to go to the bathroom. But is that's, what it feels like. <laughs> isn't isn't that just like the CW though? Like isn't that like well? So well, no, just... no, no. I don't think so. I wouldn't. No, I I think um, Jane the Virgin and you know. Like that's that's oh is that on the CW? I, yeah, like well, that's a but that's like different... I mean, I get I get to a sense that that's like taking the piss, but that the, the Jane the Virgin is freaking you know based on telenovela like structure and, and well yeah and and, and and so when it is so when it is crazy, <laughs> it's self aware like right, it's, right, it's right. Oh, but like whereas I don't know that like sure class or the hundred are always self-aware in their own teen intensity i I understand what you're saying but let me just before we get way off track okay i just want to say that like but that like every every uh you know dc comics show that's on the cw is that too so you have you know arrow and the flash and you know whatever the legends of tomorrow and like like that like like every episode of Arrow is the intense man in the hood making life and death decisions, and sometimes yeah. they're good and sometimes they're like, yeah, it, ah, yeah, yeah, um, no, like there's like a genocide per episode in the hundred. It's like hilarious, um, and it just gets a bit ridiculous after a while. 
And so maybe that's a CW, like for those like sci-fi kind of genre shows, maybe that's sort of what they, um, I would argue what they, Jane the Virgin still fits, but well, but I, I, I just think it's playing with its own. I don't just, I love Jane yeah. the Virgin. I think it's a great yeah, yeah. show. I'm not dissing it. I just think it fits <laughs> with what you're saying to some degree. Sure. I, I guess that there's a level of intention that I think is different. Um, that's, that's not, that's correct. But, but um, we'll, we'll let you do it. Well, that's, no, that's true. But I, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't know. It, it's self-aware. Like, it's there. The narrator is constantly commenting on its ridiculous tropes. Um, well, and at some point we'll have to on this show talk about supernatural too because of all. The, I can't. I know. <laughs> I I tried. No. It's no. like my one of my daughter's favorite shows, which just no. I'm, she's 17, so like that tells you sure. right there. Like sure. The, no, the I'm, good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I I. I gave it a go and that's that's about it. Um I think I made it about 3 or 4 episodes in and was like I can't I can't with the show. Um anyway. anyway. Anyway, so like we're down to the wire here. Okay. We need to like just wrap. So first of all, I should mention that I picked for my favorite episode um for tonight we might die, which is the first episode. And I think actually talking through it, I mean, one I think the promise that it gives, not that it's not necessarily followed up on, but I do think, like I said before, there is there is some good callback. I think, especially between Charlie and April, who, who I I will say I think are certainly the most developed and best developed characters on the show. Now that might go back to your comments about you know race, right. you know, versus you know. Ram and Tanya, um, or whatever, and even Mateusz, not so much as race, but like as the outsider, like the Eastern European, you know, immigrant sounding, you know, accent and all of that. But, um, at least from just like a straight up like plot perspective, like I feel like their interactions, at least in the first and last episode, now I don't know that it holds through all the other episodes. But, like, I do feel like there's some circle back. And, like, it's definitely interesting having Charlie shoot her, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a sacrificial way, you know, with her telling him to do so when he's the one who saved her or, like, mostly saved her, um, you know, in that first episode and, and kind of the way that that interacts. I don't know that, like, from an arc perspective, like, that's the most tangible thing I have to hang my hat on. I don't know that there's other than like the shadow can show up several times in several different episodes, but it's not all that clear and consistent on how they interact and like why the shadow King gets loose and like, yeah, all of that. Um, but that's kind of why I picked that episode for the promise and, and the fact that there is at least some, some of the better developed, part of the arc happens between those two episodes. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd agree that in terms of maybe just getting more time to develop their characters, April and Charlie kind of have the opportunity to develop, to develop them a little bit more. Um, 
in some ways, I don't know, I find them a little less interesting. Maybe, I, maybe not more than Ram. I think less interesting than Tanya for me. She's the kind of one who feels the most unusual. Like, and I wouldn't necessarily mean that, say that that means that she's the best developed. Like maybe she doesn't get the amount of attention um, that allows her to, you know, for you to get to know her quite as well. Um, mm -hmm. But just in terms of like a character that you haven't seen before, you know, like, and, and like in a number of different ways, like I think the fact that she's a little younger, um, that she is this kind of gifted prodigy, um, her cultural background, like all those things just kind of set her apart and make her a little bit different than like characters I've seen before. Um, but yeah, so for my favorite, um, I picked Detained. I was kind of going back and forth between Detained and Night Visiting. Um, and I think because they're, you know, for for lack of a really strong, satisfying arc conclusion, um, you tend to, you know, go for the really strong standalone episodes, you know, so I like, you know, the, just as a concept, you know, a good kind of chamber piece of the characters stuck in a room for the runtime of an episode is sort of a fun sort of experiment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the, in general, the acting was pretty good. Um, not always the greatest, but, but, you know, pretty good. So having the characters just be together in a set for a certain amount of time to just sort of play around with their interactions and their characters is always kind of a fun thing to do. Um, sure. All right. In like one minute, I do want to say a word or two just about the spinoff material, um, mm -hmm. because I think it it goes into our discussion of the arc and the cliffhanger ending, and it was something I didn't realize. So I mentioned that there that it was picked up by Big Finish, who does the audio adventures for Doctor Who. Um, and they said this year that they were going to produce some class audio adventures with the with the original cast and everything. Hmm. Um, in just kind of reading, that's coming out this month, actually. So I think it still hasn't released yet, but it must be soon. Um, in kind of just reading the synopsis, I realized that apparently it says that it's set hmm. within the television run. So during the episode, like in between the episodes we've seen, which is a fascinating decision that I would have just assumed that it would be a continuation of the story um, and pick up where we left off. That If I'm understanding the synopsis correctly, that's not the case. It seems that it's set within the timeline of what you see in the show. So like these adventures are happening in between the other things that we see, um, so which can is I like point so something out. What's that? 
Can I yeah. point something out real quick? Yeah. The, the the air date is listed as the 21st of August, which as we record this, it currently is in the UK. There we go. So it's available now. It's available now or sometime today. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. by the time this posts, it will have been available for a couple weeks. Yeah. So I guess I'm not super interested in the audio dramas personally so i doubt i will ever find out the answer to this mystery but um it seems like that's just not even picking up the story where it left off which i is a strange choice to me um yeah and because i what is what is the point of these spinoff things if you're not going to use them to do the continuing adventures of blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, well, I don't know if they're... I, maybe they're saving that for future things, but then we learned what happens when you save things is sometimes you don't get to do them. So yeah. it's just a... It's a funny choice, and it seems as though right now there are no immediate plans to... Like, there's no actual way that you know the end of the story as of right now, 20th of August in 2018. Yeah. I, I can understand having tie-in media that fills in some of the gaps and, and whatever. I mean, like, because Buffy had their... Not, sure. I mean, now, I mean, we've had our whole discussion about canon, so I won't get into yeah, that. Yeah, no, like, and, and Doctor Who always had that as well. Like, the yeah. missing adventures of whatever and... But, yeah. but yeah, like I, I agree. Like I, I'm not saying that to disagree with you. I agree with you yeah. because like, like it does seem like where you're having something like this, where it's like, you're actually getting the cast back together in a different medium, but like getting the cast back together to like do this radio dramatization of like these stories. Yeah. It does seem weird that they wouldn't then pick up on the threads that were left hanging and try to resolve some of those and, Right, right. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. And I didn't mean that to sound like dismissive of the kind of in between adventure type things, but it just seems like when you have the opportunity to finish a story that was left dangling, it's, uh, it's just a funny choice to say, no, <laughs> we'll go see what happened between, I don't know. <laughs> night visiting and whatever came after that you know like it's you know, okay the only thing that i can think of is that maybe so like when it comes to like rights and you know copyright and that kind of thing like it gets really weird when you talk about adaptations and like those types of things the only thing i can think of is that maybe there were some boundaries set on mm -hmm. like you know what big finish productions is and allowed could to cover absolutely and, be the case and yeah. so may, maybe it was like yes we'll give you the rights but you can only you know, it's like so george lucas when you know before the current disney lucas film legends era you know like new canon and all of that when um there were like these whole different levels of canonization in the Star Wars, like expanded universe and all of this. Like George Lucas had a really hard no to like material from like 40 years before, um, 
the movies, like basically the period of like the Clone Wars and everything that was like explored in the prequel series to like a few years after Return of the Jedi. So like other stuff could explore like within the original trilogy Mm -hmm. somewhat and like beyond those other boundaries, you know, a lot more like, like long before like Old Republic type stuff or like, you know, later and, and a lot of it was, you know, after like, you know, the new Republic and all of that set up. But like, there was like very clear boundaries of like where you weren't allowed to go as like right. a writer and that kind of thing. And I'm yeah. sure Disney has similar yeah. things. Like you, I mean, they're probably even more controlling than Lucas was. Um, well, yeah. And then they that could, all that, that could certainly be the case. Yeah. All, yeah. Maybe, maybe because who, who I mean, how long was Doctor Who away? Right. Like before it got revived, like, is it possible that, class will get revived at some point i mean mm-hmm. never say never especially with british tv like mm-hmm. you know maybe yeah. they're holding out for some potential revamp at some point down the line and not even with any clear plans of there being one just hey we might want to revive this someday and if we do we might want to explore this stuff on our own i don't know i could totally be wrong maybe you know, they'll do more audio sets and that'll explore the later stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's always weird licensing things. So um, that could certainly be the case. So, yeah, anyway, just wanted to, your original question about spinoff things were, you know, will they, is it the continuing story of the characters a la, you know, the Buffy comics and it's like no it doesn't seem to be so um which i'll mention this just because you happen to mention the buffy comics. yeah uh well i mean i mentioned them before we started recording but since you're mentioning them now on the recording uh they will be discontinued and i saw that uh because of the new show that um uh, is being worked on, which is apparently in the Buffy verse, though not necessarily about Buffy. Although, who knows? Maybe we'll see an older Slayer appear on screen uh, at some point. We haven't had any elderly Slayer. Not elderly. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar certainly not elderly. She's the same age as me. So if I'm like, like she's like literally like a couple months older than me. So like. I'm certainly not calling her elderly. I didn't mean it that way. But like in Slayer years, uh, you know, when most of them died pretty young, uh, that would that would be a a first as well. Anywho, yeah. Now that I totally put that foot in, um, yeah. I I mean, overall, like I know we've had some critical things. I feel like. Like I don't feel bad about having seen this. Like it, there were enjoyable parts of the no. the series. Um, would have been nice if it was a little tighter and a little clearer. Had a little clearer sense of direction and um, maybe. So all right, April at the end as the shadow came, like with her voice yeah. and stuff, like. I do feel that's like a Whedon-esque kind of twist. Mm-hmm. But I think it should have happened at the beginning of the next season. Mm. 
I say that knowing that those sort of things have happened at the end of seasons in Buffy and Angel. Like it would be particularly Whedon-esque if they actually had got a second season sure. and had been able to follow it up. I mean, like <laughs> the disappointment is not I feel inherent like, in the decision. It's that they got canceled, and it's, so it's maybe. disappointing. Because I, I feel like it's in the same vein as Dawn, right? Like the sure. the ending the episode with i mean that was at the beginning of a season not the end right, of, right? like right. it was to the first point. yeah first episode it was at the end of the first episode of season five yeah I, yes i think i'm getting that right so like that that's a little different but i mean like i feel like it had it has the same kind of feel as that mm-hmm. but i just it just like it would have worked better Right, like, as the had, start of a story rather than the yes, and yeah. like and like had it been like like literally picking up where we left off last season, and then suddenly, Portanus. I, I I'm trying not to say the wrong one, and like I feel like I'm not succeeding now. I think Patrick Patrick the, Ness is uh secretly a uh, he's secretly a Narnia fan. Yeah. Um, the Shadow King sits yes. up. Yeah, and it's April, right. and like that would be like a great start to the next season. Yeah, I don't but like it as the ending. I guess, but season. isn't it the only thing that gives you that least little bit of hope? Like otherwise, I, is it just utterly just this totally is, grim dark with nothing redeeming at all? Like this, this is where the muddledness comes in. Yeah, because like like. I I actually I feel like it would be a better story if we think that April's dead mm-hmm. in this season, and then like find out. Oh wait, no, there is hope. But like I think that's the thing that would keep people talking, and I sure it is. And like you could to- like so so the marketer in me is like you could totally play that up over the summer or or inter whatever interstitial period. Right. You know, you want to play that. Like, is April really dead? Is she not? You know, right. whatever. Like, Except that you don't get a second season. Well, you sure. You don't sure. get a summer of marketing. But, so does but it, it doesn't still... matter. Right. But they did. They, so, I mean, that and that comes into the question of when did they know? Did they know that when they were filming? Right. And or I not? don't think so. Probably not. But because um, I think it, the announcement didn't come until much later. But um but, but then anyway, does that also like prompt the I don't know the Twitterverse or whatever to be like, you know, April lives or whatever, like you know, like it sure. is, and then that's the impetus, like you know, based on that response, like that's what brings the show back, mm-hmm. huh? Maybe you never know. Yeah, I don't know. I we're, we're never told what might have been six, six seasons um, in a movie. I just, it's a subtle thing because you say, like, it's a better story if you think she's dead, but is it a better story if she's actually dead? Because if she dies and then the show gets canceled and we never find out that there was this other plan, functionally, that's the ending, is that it ends with everybody dies. No. Well, I mean, not everybody, but like. Just this once, everybody dies. Like, Charlie uses the cabinet. And April dies. Boom, that's the end of class. You don't get any more. Um, is that still a better ending than what we have? Yes. Yes? Definitively, yes. 
I am making my judgment. That would be a better Take your claim. Okay. Then her, no, you know what the best ending would be? Charlie putting a plaque up on the wall. There you go. And then, because, like, so here's the thing. All the shadow can get killed, but the shadow king's body is still there. So they do something with it, and bury it maybe, and then right. like April, and then like and then that. like emerging from the grave. They, all right, we're we're getting into Angel here. This it's is this over. is my transition, emerging from the ba- grave like a vampire newly born, and it's April. That's the that's the start of season two. The end of season one is putting her name on the platform. Mm-hmm. I just wrote a way better version that would have totally been renewed. Maybe. On to destiny. No, wait. So, sorry. This is because this is speaking of endings. This is the last we're going to talk about class. Is that? Any, are, are you satisfied? Any final? Because I, I rewrote it, so it's a much better story now. I'm. This is my head canon is set. It's cemented. It's can't be changed. Well, it ha- you have nothing to contradict it since it doesn't seem that the show is being continued. So you can write your fan fiction till, you yeah. know, the cows come home and nobody can tell you it's wrong. Um, yeah. Or apply the big finish that, you know, maybe you can write series, the continuing story of class series too. Um I don't have much else to say. Um, I agree. Like it, it's, it's fine. It has its moments. Um, I think it, I think you're right that the potential far outstrips like, you know, what we, the actual result, but, but that's like not even, I don't even mean that in a bad way. Like potential is a good thing. Like a good premise with, you know, some good ideas behind it and like good characters and good actors. Like those are all good things. Um, those things don't just happen. All right. We're officially going long because I just okay. realized too, we never even talked about the weeping. Angels. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah. So the weeping angels are behind everything. apparently. Yeah, apparently. Um, and apparently they were going to like, have be a major major invasion in season two and it's like a real shame that we'll never see that so i mean they call it the arrival right yeah um so and we also learned that like this arrival and and the governors who are apparently working are they're academics who are working towards this arrival um are what caused the rift in the first place so like yeah so like we finally get the explanation of why all this is happening here in -hmm. particular because there's these academics who work out of a high school um that you know are preparing to bring in the angels from wherever they are i mean there's apparently there are some already here but like there's a bigger invade as always there's a bigger invasion behind the rift Right. Waiting right. for the rift to open. Well, and and it, I, there's a certain sense behind the idea that, like, a place with all these 
little tears in time and space, you know, the the weeping angels are a good sort of like explanation to have behind that. Um, sure. You know, it, it, being me. that their sort of method is to pull people out of time zones and sort of throw them around and, you know. The, the weeping angels are a new who invention, right? Yes. Like blank was the first episode ever. For yeah. So I feel like they've got to be the most successful villain of new who like not sure. non-revive like, like not even because like daleks and cybermen and whatever yeah. are okay. Yeah. okay yeah i mean what, what yeah i'm trying to think like of recurring villains like what is it's like them and like what the flatulent flabby whatever they are like <laughs> the slithine slithine um, thank you i i mean i think there are some that are there are other monsters that are good, like, you know, and that the, recurring? And, and they became recurring, like, um, I'm trying to think of like in new who, like, who like they, I would say, but I don't think they're anywhere near the same league in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah. success. Like I would say, um, the silence as another Moffat villain Okay, yep. We're pretty memorable. I forgot and about recurring. them. See? You, see, that's that's your problem. Um that's There's that's probably the, one right behind me now. The main barrier to their success is that they're really hard to remember. Um and um I don't I don't quite think of them as monsters in the same way, but I would say the ood are also like in that category okay. of like Yep. memorable and recurring and you can kind of just plop one into an episode and everybody knows what it is and you know but like but yeah I don't think I don't think anything really can touch the Weeping Angels in terms of like hitting that cultural kind of you know zeitgeisty thing yeah and, I'm, and obviously we've talked about like whether or not they continue to be as scary, the more you use them. Sure. But I, I actually, I, I quite like, because I was completely surprised, mm -hmm. you know, the first time I watched this episode by the fact that they were the one sort of. I kind of was too. I forgot that and, they were in the air at the end. <laughs> oh, so even in your rewatch, you. Even in my rewatch, it was like, oh gosh, yeah. Like, and then once I saw it, I remembered it. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a while later, I, I did. I did forget about them. Um, and I think you're right. Like as an explanation of like why these sort of like time rifts are happening. Like it totally, you know, we don't know the full capabilities of the angels and that's fine. Um, I recently with my daughter rewatched um, the angels take Manhattan. And that's the one where I feel like they're a little bit less successful than maybe mm -hmm. previous versions. Not, I don't, I mean, I still think, they're scary enough and like the episode itself as the last of the pond episodes is certainly heart-wrenching you know when you mm -hmm. get to the end and and the angels are responsible for their you know kindly deaths and going back you know being sent back as uh i think the doctor described them like originally right like they kill you kindly like by sending right, you back right. and letting you live out your life in a different right. time 
Um, um, right, nicely. They kill you nicely. Kill you nicely. That not kindly, right. nicely. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I think it actually worked pretty well, and and that idea of like, I think the first time this is the first time where we've gotten this hint that maybe there's like collusion between like humans and angels mm. to some degree. Like, I think. Because, like, in the Angels Take Manhattan, like, they get sent back. Well, it all takes place in, like, a time warp bubble kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it's it's not totally clear exactly. But, like, for example, like, they see, like, old Rory in the hotel. And it's like, he's been there the whole time. But it's like, that's not collusion or, you know, conspiracy. It's it, He's trapped. He's a prisoner there. So, there, it, so you don't get that sense of whatever but here like that idea of like like the angels maybe can only do so much being the you know the fact that like they can't move when someone's watching them right so like they're whatever quantum bound state that they're in or whatever um so like the fact that they have like human hands and of course it's sort of not quite mad scientist but like maybe on that spectrum of like academics who are like researching things they shouldn't maybe be researching or whatever mm-hmm. um so that aspect that aspect of it i actually kind of liked and I, like i mean and i mean hey i've enjoyed the like arc heavy like mythology conspiracy stuff since you know x-files so like i'm i'm totally into that kind of stuff but uh yeah no i i, I like the surprise of it i i think in addition to the surprise, like upon reflection, I think it works pretty well. Um, probably one of the better elements of the series that does work. Um, and and I like that would be. I mean, I'm curious about like okay, April and you know as the Shadow King, but like I feel like we've already gone partially down that road before, so it's like okay, so we're gonna get more of that if we were to get another season. But like this would this is like a wholly new area that seems kind of like oh this would be an interesting thing and like how does Quill fight you know something that you can't really touch or you know doesn't move unless you know when you're looking at it and like that kind of like I feel like there's some interesting yeah pieces there that could unfold and, um, well and I, a funny thought is it's another thing that um, doesn't seem like it would work terribly well in audio. So, um, sure. like, it's one of those things of like, I wonder if they kind Maybe of want to touch that. Like, like that's clearly like a, that's clearly a television idea. That right. like, a, among the things that it seems that they were very clearly setting up for follow up that they didn't get to. Because I don't, that doesn't seem like a like a I've, radio idea to me. I've not um, listened to like much, like radio dramatization but i I, i'm thinking so like on our npr station here they do play at night um like old-timey like from the 40s or whatever like 30s and 40s like radio shows and stuff and you always get that like i see you standing there in your you know cap and like bow tie or whatever like you know like that kind of thing and and so just like yeah yeah what would the description there oh there's an angel right behind you and it has its hands covering its face and like right Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't, my understanding is that Big Finish has an issue with that of like, 
you know, uh, an over-reliance on out loud description of what the actors and characters see, I feel like the Weeping Angels would probably not encourage their best instincts in that area. Um, so yeah, I don't, like, it's, it's that thing too of, like, when I think about it, I agree, like, the angels as being behind these sort of little time tears does kind of make sense. In the moment, I remember being a little disappointed by it in the sense of, like, it felt like an easy kind of, oh, okay, it's something we're familiar with, and you can just kind of, like, I don't know. Like, yeah. it seemed like a slightly shallow resolution to, like, what's behind the governors. But, again, with time to really develop it, maybe it could have been really interesting. Like, and, like, now that I'm thinking about it, like, it would be kind of cool to see, like, what could you do with the Weeping Angels as, like, a season-long villain, not just, like, right. one that show up for one episode. Well, but, like, have, really have a chance to, like, develop some of the mythology or the rules behind how they work and all those sorts of things. And maybe that would have been, maybe that would have been cool if they'd had time to go there. And I feel like that, that could, especially since it seems like the shadow can are now, except for April as the kid, like the shadow can are now, you know, done. Yeah. So like you have room to explore a new, yeah, a new villain. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some cool things like, um, you know, the way that the governors all sort of slowly turn their backs in shame, you know, to kind of shun Dorothea, and then you kind of realize like, oh, you know, because this is her sort of mode of execution, like. Right. It's, yeah, having some fun with, and I think that's what you can do with, like, it once the Weeping Angels rise to the level of the Daleks or whatever, of, the whole episode doesn't have to be about them. You can just have them appear, and and everybody knows instantly what they are, and, you know, no explanations required. You can just sort of drop them in. Mm-hmm. That's when you know you have a really iconic idea i think so hey we went way over and didn't necessarily mean to do that yeah should we uh talk about angel now is there any other no that was it i just wanted to sort of make sure we at least acknowledge that yeah oh yeah by the way oh yeah um oh yeah huge reveal at the end of that episode um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean no, that's, no, that's that's I think all I have to say about that. All right, destiny. Um, or I keep thinking of Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, yes, of course. Um, so forgive me if I say density a couple times. Um, <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll probably, probably say it on purpose a couple times. No. Okay. Um. So I want to start with the flashback stuff because we get three of them, right? Um, yes. Going through, and I think was it did did I ask about this or did you say a couple episodes ago, like, oh, you know, 
spikes around. We're probably going to get some more flashbacks. I, I might have hinted at it. And uh, here we go. Um, so, I, to be perfectly honest with you, there's been so many at this point that my sense of the timeline is a little lost. Sure. So, um, and and granted, I've I, only watched. I don't know through... that it matters that much here sure. per se, other than like sure. it's it's shortly after William and Drusilla meet, which is. Yeah. Which is at the end of sort of the first, like, right, we see, so we see William, uh, you know, reading his bloody awful poetry at the party, goes out, meets Drusilla. Hours, days after that, like, not long, presumably. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Darla is around, but not in this episode like they do mention that she's right. off she, well with, she's off she and angel had a tit and you know she's off uh with the master so we, right we couldn't well because she went off to the mat like he called her right 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 is the explanation that and we also couldn't get julie ben's back for this episode That's maybe probably the real reason <laughs> yeah yeah they tend to have lovers spats when uh when somebody's has a filming yeah. conflict, um, although yeah, I mean, which is fine. Wesley doesn't show up in this episode either, so like I don't, maybe that's he true. Was off. And I want to, I want to, okay. I want to flag that. Oh, sorry, my cat just started to run for no reason. Um, <laughs> as cats do, as they do. Um, so yeah, okay, so yeah, and I not that it matters hugely, but like. It's just that thing of trying to remember, like, all right, who knows who and how long have they known each other? So, yeah, this is soon after um, yeah. William's conversion. Um, look what I made. It's called Willie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, right. So this is basically, in a nutshell, this is, you know, Angelus and, and William's first meeting. It's Drusilla bringing home her new pet for Angelus to meet. Um, and Angelus even still has kind of the Liam accent. So this is like not early, early days, but like early enough in his career that it's sort of the right. height of evil Angelus. Um, and sort of the very quick roller coaster of their relationship. Um, because immediately in the sort of I don't know, initial impulse, uh, they're going to be like BFFs, right? Um, right. Do you, do you have any idea what it's like having nothing but women as traveling companions? Um, and Angelus kind of gives the impression that this is what he's been longing for is this sort of like male companionship and like, so they can have guys nights and it's not just like sure. him with these, you know, women all the time. Um, but that's kind of a lie, right? Um, I mean, pretty quickly, like you get a sense that this is like a matter of days, maybe that we're covering, maybe like right. a couple of weeks at the most. Um, Angelus is, you know, concocting a story, lying to get William to 
follow Drew out into the night while he goes home and sort of, you know, uh, betrays William's trust with Drusilla while, you know, he's out looking for her among like the street urchins of London. Um, sure. I, I, yeah. I, do you, do you think that he's doing that intentionally or do you think it's like, I mean, with Angelus, like the assumption is, I guess, always that any sort of thing is intentional, but like, you also get the sense that like, this is just how the, this is part of like having all female companions, right? Like, so yeah, I mean, I guess like, I, I don't get a sense on Drew's part that there's anything amiss there. No, I think this is, yeah, this is kind of how we roll, is sort of the impression. Um, I mean, I think for Mangelis, it's pointed. Like, I guess I see it more as, like, I think he's being disingenuous when he's saying, like, oh, like, uh, I only have these women as companions, and it's so nice to have, you know, like, what, it, you know, the idea of sharing the slaughter of innocence with another man is, you know, very thrilling to him. And he's, you know, like, I, I guess I believe that he's, you know, excited to have this new avenue to explore. But I also think it seems to me like he's staking some territory. Um, sure. At least from Angelus's point of view, this is like, don't let William get comfortable. Um, you know, like give him enough kind of excitement and thrills when he arrives to get him excited and feel like he's kind of part of the team and, you know, is Angel's guy and everything. But in Angelus doesn't want it to be that Drew and William are off sort of as a couple on their own. Like, I kind of feel like he's making it clear that he, this is his kind of, I don't know, like almost like a herd of lions where like, there might be other males around, but there's really only one, you know, pack leader. And all the women are with Angelus, basically, you know, and if he kind of lets William get some time, then he's. He'll, he might throw him a bone every so often, but that's about as much as he can expect. Sure. Um, that's how I interpreted it anyway. Um, that's fair. So, um, not even so much with Drew. With Drew, it just feels like she's very much more just a creature of the moment. And, oh yeah, for sure. You know, not. I don't think she thinks tactically at all. Really, um, it's about like what is happening in like in that particular time and place. And it's. I don't think she's putting a lot of thought into William's interpretation of what he's going to think of this or what his feelings are going to be about this. Um, yeah. And I think probably I like it's like if you're with Angelus's harem, this is part of what that means is like he's the the alpha male and he's in charge. And 
Drew and Darla and whoever, they don't even have a problem with that. That's just sort of how things are. So. Yeah, I don't know. Did you have a different? No, I think that makes sense. So, so like when, when Angel opens the door to the stagecoach and is like, you know, go out and find Drusilla. You think that Angel totally knows that she's back at the hotel and is sending him on a wild goose chase. I think so, yeah. I mean, I can't prove that. And I, I mean, I can sure. see I mean, it's, that. That seems to be what happened. So, like, yeah. and, and I think we know enough about Angelus to know that, like, he is the sort of conniving, you know. Yeah. Uh, psychological you know play with your head kind of creature yeah no and and i know we've had that discussion or you know whatever before of like he's also very much the opportunist so you could see that he means one thing one moment and then he gets home and just you know drew's there and it turns into something else like i can see that but without being shown a scene like that my kind of default assumption is that this is about their, like this whole episode is about their rivalry and yeah. about asserting their domination over each other. And so I, with lacking other evidence, my kind of assumption is that that's what's happening here is like, this is Angelus going out of his way to sort of mark his territory and, you know, saying like, William, you can be here and you're going to live it up and have this wonderful hedonistic vampire lifestyle, but there's a pecking order. And, you know, yeah, don't get to thinking that you and I are equals in any way. Well, and it gets in, like in their conversation around Buffy. It, it you know, yeah. basically comes up there. I mean, not specifically. They don't mention Drusilla. You know, specifically, it's not like Remember that time when yeah. I came back to the hotel and you were having sex with, yeah. you know, my sire, um, <laughs> who I was the one, which is a whole other issue, um, given his right. mother, mommy issues. Um, yeah, there's many layers of incest yeah, going yeah. on here. Um, but yeah, so, and, well, and I mean, Angelus being Drew's sire, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Right. So, like, I don't, like, there's no explicit callbacks to that, but, like, there's the, um, you know, conversation they basically have about, you know, Buffy, where it was like, oh, what does she say there? Like, you know, oh, uh, you know, basically Angel's like, oh, you know, I just thought you went and got a soul to get in a girl's pants, basically, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, that there's nothing especially heroic or whatever about him and that you know whether it was you know intentional to like get back like why did why does he have this whole slayer fetish at all like is it because angel was with her first or or what like i feel like this not muddies the waters but like maybe adds a little more like 
color yeah. to, well, to that whole the, idea of, like, why was Spike so obsessed with Buffy in the first place? And, like, they don't ever come out and say this. You know, they don't explicitly say that this is kind of the subtext, but the impression is, like, Spike kind of saying, like, like, you're always doing this. Like, right. almost like, like, dad, like, every why are you like, ru- ruining, like, every time? Like, and that's Grand, sort of the impression yeah. you get is that, like, it's not even, it's not just Buffy. It's not even just Buffy and Drew. It's everything. It's, like, every aspect of their relationship has been this, you know, one-upmanship. Right. Um, usually with Angel winning in some sense um sure but like they can't they can't help themselves from trying to constantly one up and get over on each other that way um so yeah that's i think why i definitely see angelus's actions as a little more crafty and pointed um you know, not just a, oh, I'm going to do what feels right in the moment, but um, but he's making a point there. And it sets the tone for the entire rest of their relationship. Sure. Like, they are kind of, in William's mind anyway, they are BFFs up until this point. Um, and then sort of from here on out, everything is down to who's winning at any given moment, whatever the contest is. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay. So to switch over to the present day story, I just want to note quickly the fact that, like you said, Wesley is not in this episode. He's on sabbatical, <laughs> which is like a kind term for like him needing a break after yeah. like, thinking he killed his father. Um, right. So, yeah, I'm maybe there's nothing more to it than that. I'm a little curious, like, maybe it's something as simple as the actor had a conflict and we kind of needed to give him a week off. Or, like, maybe I'm curious to see if we see what all he's up to. Um, I feel like... Like, is that more of like a research? Is it really just a sabbatical or like what's he's off doing? I like it. I, you know, people don't just usually take a week off in these kinds of things. Like, you know, there's sometimes like there's episodes where you don't see someone as much. Oh, sorry. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, we can just put that out. Um, oh, that's fine. Um, so you were saying... Anyway, I, I feel like there are, there's definitely episodes where you don't see someone as much, but it feels a bit conspicuous to have him completely absent. So it makes me wonder, is there another thing that he's... Is he going to be up to? Sort of something off on the side. Um, knowingly or unknowingly of the other members of the group. Um Sure. It is Wesley, after all, so he has right. a tendency to just sort of go go rogue and do his own thing and not necessarily check in with the group first. Yes, although I think the fact that Angel 
describes it as a sabbatical or whatever. Like, or is it? He's the one who said who uses that term. I believe. I think if so. I remember it correctly. Um, I think that like at least hints that like it's at least somewhat sanctioned. Yeah. Like I don't think this is like. Wesley's gone and we don't know where he is or what he's doing. No, for sure. Like they definitely know that he's gone and taking a break and you know, yeah, maybe they even know where he is or whatever, but um Or or at least Angel does. Yeah. Um just yeah. because I mean without like being too strong about it or whatever. Like I think we've I think we've sort of resolved in the last episode basically about any doubts that angel might have had mm -hmm. you know about wesley's loyalty and whatever especially knowing that like wesley doesn't remember the fact that he was ever not loyal <laughs> like like we've kind of got that confirmation and so i just want to be clear that like at least for now i i think we can assume that like wesley's not just off like doing something like completely rogue and you know yeah whatever um yeah no and maybe that's overstating it i didn't i didn't necessarily think he'd gone completely like like he'd just left with no warning and you know but sure it does like maybe maybe he's just going to come back next episode and that's fine he just took a break and no explanation and that's it um or i i do wonder if there's some sort of covert you know known or or not like some sort of side mission sort of going on um or like research into something um i guess we'll i guess we'll find out but he's kind of conspicuous in his absence here um right, especially right. given that um what we think we find out about the prophecy um would, would have been handy to have wesley around for this episode so it's sort of interesting that like right. oh this this all happens as soon as wesley's not here um right right so yeah. and that's a great point so like is I mean, all right, so, like, without dancing around what we yeah, learned about Yeah, well, let's get into e, the situation and everything, yeah. Like, is that, is that timing, you know, can, can we see that timing as not, as maybe being opportunistic in the way that we were just saying Angel is, or Angelus <coughs> is opportunistic? Like, is there a parallel going on there between? I mean, it seems to be largely if nothing else because of the involvement of his assistant like with wesley not there um i didn't realize what his name was but cirque i Cirque guess, is his yeah. um yeah i think his, his we other, saw like, him like once yeah he was second. when when they got their assistant he was like the sort of watcher-esque like yeah. british middle-aged giles figure who's you know wesley gets like another you know carbon copy to help him with the books and yeah in the absence of wesley it's cirque who um 
not just translates the prophecy or helps them with interpretation, but like gives them this completely BS new bit of, oh, there's this, this other bit of the prophecy, which we just translated today. How lucky that speaks to exactly this situation and tells us exactly what's going on. It's in hindsight, it's, you know, obviously a setup, but when you're just, when you have nothing else to go on, you are just sort of at the mercy of whatever this translator tells you and you believe it. So yeah, it seems like they, you know, the, the, the people that set up this whole scenario seized on the opportunity of Wesley not being around. It seems like you agree with that potentially i i'm saying it's not an unreasonable interpretation sure for for Um, precisely the reasons you say like because sir certainly seems to be in the know and and like we get confirmation of that basically from eve Mm -hmm. and i think i think uh mango has something to say on that yep she agrees um yeah, no, I think I like it's it's conspicuous because he's the one they have to go to, and we know that like from Eve that like Serp is sort of in on it and has yeah. plans to leave when things go down and they sort of realize, you know, they're found yeah. out or whatever. Yeah, I would have gotten away with it too. Oh wait, he did kind of get away with it. Yeah, no, he gets away. Yeah, to to wrap up the Cirque part of the plot line, um, he gets away. Um, and as far as anybody knows, he's the only one they know was involved with it. And so that's, they can right, kind of right. potentially pin it all on him um, or not really know who he was working for. So Right. And, and like, that seems to be the plan. Like, like... Like I, I suppose you could argue differently if you want, and maybe you will. But like, to me, that seems to be the plan all along. That Cirque will take the fall and disappear, and like, yeah, that's what Eve and Lindsay are apparently mm-hmm. thanking. Yeah, for whatever like we don't necessarily know entirely their motive. I mean, we know. Like, we've seen Lindsay before. He's not a new person to us. We know he doesn't like Angel and team. So, like, it's not, like, that far-fetched to, like, think that, like, he bears them ill will. Um, but we don't know, sort of, like, he, what does he say? Like, it's a start or whatever. Like, there, we, we don't know, like, what his endgame is here. Right. Um. And is this like signifying, like, have we met the big bad? Is is Lindsay the big bad now, like, of the season, or is mm-hmm. this like, I don't know, maybe it's just a mini arc? Will there be a big bad? We don't even know. Yeah, I'm just, just to throw that out there, like, is like, should we be thinking along those lines? Um, and what's up with all the tattoos? Right, right. Yeah, like, he's in like. Russian prison or something. Um, yeah, or is there magical significance? Like, is he 
powerful now in some sense. It's hard to imagine Lindsay as the big bad when you have like the senior partners around. Um, I always felt like Lindsay was a bit ineffectual, but um, well, yeah, but, but we haven't, we, seen, him we haven't seen him in a while, so I guess we'll. I mean, hey, you know. Nobody thought Jonathan, Warren, and Andrew would be. Well, nobody knew who Andrew was, but like sure. Jonathan and Warren would come out as like. I mean, arguably they're not technically the big bad because Willow right. is, but um, they are at least in in contention. They're runners yeah. up for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that he necessarily is. Like that's a good point. Like he. He was kind of ineffectual, but does that mean that he still is? Yeah, no, not necessarily. But, like, I think that's kind of at least where my mind goes when he first comes back is, like, I don't make the... If he turns out to be the big bad, that's not my first assumption. Um, That's not, like, what comes to mind when I think Lindsay's coming back into the story. (laughs) Fair Um, enough, fair enough. It's like... Oh no, we're doomed. Like yeah, it's Lindsay. Um so we'll I mean we'll see, obviously, but yeah. um so apart from what we're told, um maybe we should talk for a minute about like what we actually observe of like what happens with this situation, um, which is people bleeding from their eyes and getting very angry and attacking people just not completely at random but like attacking the people immediately closest to them um over whatever happens to be making them angry um and what's interesting is like the anger seems genuine it's just like disproportionate to the situation so like the toner guy, you know, is like really, really angry that, you know, people don't replace the toner, but like you don't generally scrawl that in the blood of your enemies along, you know, the wall by the copy machine. Um, And Harmony certainly has some genuine anger and resentment towards Spike. Um, It just happens to come out like, in a context where she might not have shared that anger normally. Um, and uh, yeah. Gunn's suspicions of Eve are probably what he's really thinking. Um, but he wouldn't normally attack her for that. Like, right. He wouldn't, like, he wouldn't like, ch- try to choke her to death. Right. Like, it, and so, yeah, it's interesting that, like, it's not inventing, it's it's not creating conflict. It's sort of seizing on whatever feelings of conflict are there and sort of just amplifying them. Um, um, so, yeah, it has a, has a like a, uh, did you ever see Falling Down with Michael Douglas? No. Um, I don't think so. Where, like he just like snaps one day and like anyway it has that feel to it so you'll have to go watch it and then you'll know what i mean i guess but um yeah just that like like the mundane like 
office setting stuff. Well, I mean, not that like, all right, harmonies is less mundane, but like they're having sex and like, you know, she feels used, which I mean, she is and always has been by Spike. And, and that's what gets her angry. And it's, I mean, totally angry and, you know, she goes off on him but yeah like like the thing like oh you know the toner isn't right or nobody changes the toner or whatever like it's the sort of mundane office thing that everyone gets irritated about but like yeah you're not gonna like kill someone or like attack them physically you know because of it right for the most part although you do hear the occasional like news story about right someone someone going you know, getting set off yeah. by some yeah minor random thing so i guess my question is or request for confirmation if you can give it is um do we take it that well all right that's what we see right what we're told is what we hear from eve about which she kind of passes off as her guesswork saying like here's what i think but i don't actually know like she only knows or here's what the shamans told me or right and she only knows what she's told which is not a lot in this particular scenario um and um what does she even say i can't even find it um sorry i'm looking for my section of the notes here oh where she says it's 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 a harbinger right it's the based on the confusion in the universe about who the prophecy refers to and until we get this figured out things are just going to go a bit haywire um and and then they go to Cirque and they get the kind of follow-up of like, oh, we found this new section of the prophecy, which we never noticed before. Oh, and hey, it's newly translated. And it tells us about these sort of branching rivers and, you know, having to drink from the holy cup to, you know, determine determine who is the the real one. Not to determine, like, who deserves to be the champion, but to reveal the truth you know whoever drinks from it was always destined to drink from it and yet we're also here's the paradox because at the same time that we're told that there can only be one outcome like whoever drinks from the cup was always meant to drink it at the same time they kind of also want us to believe that this is a moment of choice of like maybe there is no true answer and that's why everything is going screwy is because there's two possible answers and we don't have a single unified choice and that's why everything is crazy so there's a contradiction there um so i guess back to my question do you think that it's confirmed in this episode that everybody going nuts and attacking each other in the office is all just a bit of theater. Is this, is this all stemming from Lindsay and Eve and whatever they are sort of representing and working for? Um, 
you know, or is it that maybe things are in flux and things are going crazy and what they added in was this extra kind of confusion about the prophecy and sending Spike and Angel off on this little goose chase. Right. So like, like, is, did, they, extent, did they enact a spell that made like toner guy like kill his, sure. his coworker or are they seizing on something that is happening sort of, that's my reading at the end. I think I, I think I feel confident in saying that um, this all comes down to Lindsay and Eve and they did something to kind of magically influence people. But I don't know that for sure. I will neither confirm nor deny what your guess is. I I will say I don't think we get enough one way or the other. I so I think it comes down to the question of like like exactly how opportunists are they? Are they so opportunists that like they could recognize when like all heck is breaking loose and like use that to their advantage? Or is it like all they needed was the small opportunity of Wesley being gone for a few days? Mm -hmm. And I think the Occam's razor is like Wesley being like you, you, I mean, yes, bad stuff goes down at Wolfram and Hart on a fairly regular basis, especially like since Angel took over, but like, why, why wait until this particular event? Like, why not, why not have, this happened when like Lorne went berserk, you know, and we had like killer Lorne on the loose. Like, why wasn't that the trigger or like right. any of the other sort of crises that happened? I, I feel like the like simplest answer is just having Wesley gone gives us enough to like wreak havoc because, you know, and especially if like, it's clear that like, I don't know how much you want to question. It's like, we still don't know that much about Eve, right? Like even, even now, like you've got gun, like sort of suggesting that she's something non-human. Mm -hmm. Do you still believe that after this episode? Like, do you, do you believe that she's non-human or is, or is like her saying things like, how can you be sure that I'm either, you know, a woman or young? Mm -hmm. Like, does that, is that just like, bluster and her like trying to throw them into confusion and like mm. she's as human as Lindsay at the end of this episode like mm -hmm. I don't know like I suppose that the answer to that question might influence like how you see it as well but I guess I guess to me like if you're going for like the simplest solution it's they had a magic spell that recorporealized Spike and kind of threw things into chaos for a short amount of time and they waited until sort of the perfect timing to have Wesley out of the office for that to happen. And that's all mm -hmm. they need. Like, yeah. to me, that seems like the simpler answer. Now, whether that means it's the correct answer is a different question, 
Mm-hmm. But like if you're going like the Occam's Razor route, that would be yeah. the one I would choose. Um, right, which then, and this is fine, but you know that the implication of that being as we get into the kind of little silly quest that they send Spike and Angel on is that the prophecy was never in doubt, really. Um, like whatever the prophecy means, it's not that the universe is in chaos because the prophecy is in any sort of flux. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's all just to kind of mess with Angel's head, really. And like um, Angel read this magical, you know, textual translation of the prophecy, like, and Wesley has seen the prophecy in its original, right? Because he, I mean, he doesn't remember having seen it. But, like, he's seen it and, like, translated it before. And, like, there's mm-hmm. never been this, like, other piece that was left untranslated. And other, Like, yeah. Wesley would have picked that lie out in a second. So, like, it's totally hinging on, like, this made-up yeah. bit. You know, I mean, is the Mountain Dew in the cup fresh? Or has it been sitting there for ten years? Like, we don't know how yeah. long, like they've been planning this uh, maybe not 10 years but like you know easily if if they know that like okay wesley's gone and we're gonna pick this day to send the package which is the trigger for everything else then like okay let's go we've got the perfect spot we're gonna drive out you know to this abandoned place in the desert and set this cup there with some fresh mountain dew like on that day a few hours before angel and you know spike arrived there like, like, I like it. Like, 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 yes, there's some planning involved, but like, not a ton. I mean, yeah. ignoring like what, however difficult it might be to make a magic spell, do all that. I mean, I guess the other question is, are the senior partners involved or not? Because like the white room supposedly disappears, or they rig the elevator somehow to take him to take Gun somewhere other than the white room. One or mm-hmm. the other. So like, how how far does this spell actually go? Right. It causes a lot of chaos at Wolfram and Hart. Is it ever outside of there? Eh, it doesn't seem to like Spike and Angel leave Wolfram and Hart and don't seem to encounter any other problems. I mean, other than their own like fighting. Right. Like, right. <laughs> there's no like problems being caused by the spell elsewhere outside of Wolfram and Hart apparently. But they're so focused on their little rivalry, they don't even notice that like. Right. Oh, everything out here is fine. Like, right, only the problems they bring with them. Which, you know, is um, a good little metaphor for, like, people experiencing their own mm-hmm. stuff on a daily basis. It's like, oh, hey, look, outside of my, you know, area of influence, everything's fine. So maybe there's, maybe the problem's here with me. <laughs> right. Or whatever. Right. right. Um, to your question about the senior partners, I think Eve says something about them. And when she's talking sure. to Lindsay at the end about how, she wants Angel and the senior partner, or sort of Team Angel, at the throats of the senior partners. So the indication right now seems to be that she is undermining what the senior partners want. Um, you know, either open, probably secretly is what it seems, you know, like, you know, nominally she works for them but sort of has this other 
thing going on. But then I guess that means the senior partners aren't exactly omniscient because she's sort of, you know, openly talking about this with Lindsay, you know, so, um, you know, I mean, in the privacy of their bedroom and everything, but it seems like the senior partners, if they're these sort of godlike figures, then I guess they don't know what is said, um, you know, in her house. So, you know, that's as much as I know right now, but it seems like she's not working for them. And it seems like or at least, she wanted or is double crossing them or something. Like yeah, like yeah. she's still working. Like maybe yes. most of the time she actually is working for them and providing yeah. some kind of influence and guidance. But like yeah. yeah, and it also seems like she wanted potentially wanted Angel to get killed as a result of this whole thing. She says. She clarifies, Spike didn't kill Angel, but they did beat each other to bloody pulp. And Lindsay says, well, it's a start. So, you know, the suggestion being that, does that mean the ideal scenario would have ended with Spike killing Angel? Um, Which seems like, certainly like a Lindsay motive. Um, Sure. You know. Yeah, and so... What is, I mean, other than that, like, you know, none of the Angel Investigations team knew who Eve was before Wolfram and Hart. Like, what's her motivation for all this? We don't know. We have, like, we don't know. We just, yeah. For some reason, she's working with Lindsay at Wolf more than working with like sleeping with him is that it like is it is it the romantic interest and like he's convinced her to help him somehow or is it is there more to it does she have her own motivation and it's just like oh hey we're going the same way let's use the same bed as well yeah just for efficiency i don't know reason of course um, I don't know the answers to those questions, but yeah, yeah, I'm not necessarily expecting you to. I, it was just more like those are things to mm-hmm. think about and keep in the mind. things to think about. Um, anything else about? I guess. I, well, we kind of like got around it. Maybe there's not too much more to say. But anything else about the angel spike sort of? plot like their quest and their rivalry and everything um like i mean it gets no it gets pretty nasty i mean you know kind of how they feel about each other it's not exactly shocking but um but you know it's definitely one of those fights that starts out kind of like a normal duel and by the end is getting pretty like they're taking some low blows and um yeah and uh i guess kind of looping back around to the the paradox of the prophecy um angel's sort of bothered by the fact that spike wins like for once spike wins and of course angel like mopes about it and um and 
sort of the conclusion being that he wanted it more and that has to mean something like you know like it has to mean something deeper than that he won this fight um but like that may be true but is that necessarily true like maybe angel is the chosen one it doesn't matter how much spike wants it you know or how much angel doesn't want it maybe if something is destined then that's what it is and spike getting to the cup of mountain dew first um i don't think is going to be changing something that's really written in stone mm -hmm. um but yeah in this exact moment if it comes down to who is hungrier for you know the redemption at that given moment then maybe it does go to spike Um, and I did think of you when it was Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> I kind of think the Holy Grail full of Mountain Dew seems like uh, well, but it's a, a cup of that you could be motivated by. It's a cup of torment, though. So I don't know. Is that right. what, what's that saying about Mountain Dew that it's bad? Right. Maybe. Um. Okay. Well, I feel like we kind of maybe covered everything I wanted to cover. Is there any other like character stuff or plot points that we didn't really get into? No, not I mean we kind of touched on Eve's untrustworthiness. We didn't talk specifically about Gunn and Fred, but I mean or did we? Like I mean we sort of alluded I mean, to him choking her, but like I guess the only like the big takeaway there besides the fact that he well, I mean, I, I think the big takeaway by the end is that he's kind of right, at least in his instincts, you know. And again, sure. I think the clue is there in the fact that all of the people who attack other people are doing so for genuine reasons, things that they really genuinely feel angry about. So I guess it's sort of hinting at the idea that these are very strong you know intuitions that gun is having mm -hmm. and um and but they're easily dismissed because he's under the influence of this sort of spell which makes everybody kind of act crazy is sort of what they seem and then it, the embarrassment afterwards of his attacking her um kind of means that everybody's going to give her the benefit of the doubt for a while you know, just by virtue of the fact that she was sort of so brutally attacked. Mm -hmm. um, it, it inclines Gunn and Fred and everybody to be a little more forgiving, a little more apologetic. Maybe they're not going to scrutinize her quite, quite so closely. Um, so whether or not that was part of the plan, it sort of ends up working in her favor. Sure, sure. So yeah, I mean that was the only other Fred and Gun thing that I had. So yeah, I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover. Cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add. I guess we'll learn more about the mystery of Lindsay and Eve soon. Maybe.
Mm-hmm. Maybe even the next episode? Possibly. Possibly. Cool. And then we're going to do uh, start Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell next time, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. right. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll hop right in to the first episode. Sounds good. I haven't. I I watched it once when it kind of first came out. Um, I'm not rereading it before. No, uh, we watch it. No, that's okay. I don't have the time to do that. That's okay. But no, I don't either. Yeah, we'll definitely definitely have enjoy discussing. Yeah, I think we can. There are forums out there to discuss the book and the show as an adaptation. So maybe, not that we'll never make reference to the book, but maybe it might be fun to just look at it as like a TV series on its own. Not necessarily as an adaptation of source material, but just as, you know, seven episodes of like a mini series. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. See you then.